Welcome to Kentucky Horsepower, the official podcast of the Kentucky Automobile Dealers Association. Hi, good day, everyone. This is Jason Wilson, president of the Kentucky Auto Dealer Association, and welcome to another edition of our official podcast, Kentucky Horsepower. Uh, joining me today is Steve Gates of Gates Automotive Group here in Kentucky, Central Kentucky, Lexington area. And uh, uh, Steve, happy to have you with us. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Um, just to give our, uh, I think everyone's fairly familiar in Kentucky with Steve Gates. He was our time deal of the year back in 2021. Uh, at that same year, he was also the AIADA uh, chairman as well. And, and Steve's been very involved in uh Kentucky events, but things that go well beyond Kentucky in his various roles. And he's also currently uh, on the KDA Board of Directors. So, Steve, again, thanks for joining us. Uh, today, we want to really sort of get into EVs. You know, there's been a lot of discussion about it, uh, both at uh, uh, the dealer level, the legislative level, you name it. It's uh, it's really what the last couple of years have been about. And I think we're seeing a little, starting to see a little bit of a pivot of what the OEMs are thinking as it relates to EV is putting out there. So let's just start sort of at a macro level, Steve, and we'll sort of work our way through it. But let's start with, you know, what are your initial thoughts as we sit here in February of 2024, uh, EVs and versus just what the conversations were like just a couple of years ago? Yeah, I've really been working on this for, I guess, about four years. The uh, uh, Really before it was in the press, before it was popular. Um, the, uh, so frankly, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm fatigued. This is, this is long, it's been a long road. Sure. The, uh, um, uh, but, uh, it was very lonely in the beginning. Uh, the, uh, but, uh, so, but mostly this, and my involvement was born out of fear. Yeah. And I think I, I told you one time, in my opinion, and it's just that, but in my opinion, the um, if the EPA mandate stands, the if it's if it's passed, if it stands, the uh, all of us won't make it. All of us, you know, the number of dealers that we have now, the uh, will not will not be able to continue to be in business, or certainly at least to thrive the uh for a variety of reasons but the uh so the so i've gotten so involved because i don't want to lose my job and i don't want everybody else in our our industry to lose their jobs either so uh so anyway yeah it's look it's a great point and um uh and again you and i have talked through the years on on this subject that is is evolving and um uh, to that extent and to that uh, to example of that um, we're seeing as an association more and more inquiries from the press here, even just uh, within the last few weeks saying, what's going on with EVs? We're, we're seeing that EV sales are slowing down, that EV sales are, you know, there was a big movement. Now the press seems to be sort of catching up to what the reality is on the ground. So let's, let's talk about, you know, you carry a, a number of different brands. What are you seeing at your stores as it relates to your EV inventory? Well, first of all, we're essentially seeing no activity whatsoever. The In all of the brands that I sell, we have at least one EV model. Sure. The uh, Toyota, for instance, we have the BZ4X, 
the I have one in stock. It's the same one I've had in stock the since it was introduced. The only the only reason the door has ever been opened is because occasionally we have to move it to charge it. Wow. The zero interest. The uh, at Nissan, similar situation. We sold several uh, Nissans uh, a few months ago. The but only because Nissan came out with an employee only program, so the uh, employees could to could lease the uh, lease a car for twelve months, the for less than two hundred dollars a month. So you know we sold five. The mm -hmm. the dealers across the country did the same thing. So Nissan could show that they were the uh, that their EV sales were growing. But the fact of the matter is they weren't being sold to the public. The uh, uh, Honda is just coming out with their prologue. We haven't received one yet. But for the past year, maybe a little longer than a year, Honda has been all over us as far as preparation. The uh, the we've had the tools, the special tools for a long time. They're very expensive. Yes. The uh, and been pushing us on chargers, which we now right. have installed. I'll digress to say, at least in the case of Nissan, the uh, our level three charger, the they provide it. So oh. our our expense at Nissan has been very low. They've been very right. fair uh, about infrastructure. Right. The, and Toyota hasn't required anything. The okay. uh, uh, then I've got Hyundai, and uh, uh, Hyundai's very aggressive. Mm -hmm. the, uh, they see an all EV future. The uh, um, and uh, and and of course I have Ford, and and you know it's been reported often that 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 Ford's been pretty heavy handed as far as. Uh, preparation for for an EV future. Uh, everybody's starting to pivot, and I, I suspect we'll get to that next. Yeah, and, and that sort of was my point, and we, let, let's, let's jump right into Ford. As you said, Ford's been, you know, that's well documented uh, as far as what Ford's approach was, and now what it is today is also well documented in that, hey, everybody can sell EVs, uh, service EVs. They, they've really changed that. Um, uh, which, it, you know, we as an association actually sent forward a letter acknowledging uh, that position and and uh, encouraging th that they continue down this path of communicating with dealers. Uh, so it is something that can be inclusive of all dealers, regardless of if you're in a largely populated area uh, or a very small town. As you know, we have a lot of small town Ford dealers as well, where from the standpoint of initially, whether you were in Los Angeles, California, or whether you were in Paducah, Kentucky, the requirements essentially that they were putting out there was was the same. Uh, so thankfully, they they've had to pivot on that because it just wasn't working. But um, you know what the future looks like? I'm not sure. Here in Kentucky, obviously, we see they they've invested in Kentucky and these plants and whatnot, but now they're also scaling back. Uh, we've seen that with the Ford Lightning, they've announced they're uh, decreasing production on that. So it is interesting, especially from your perspective, Steve, because you have the different brands. You mentioned Hyundai sort of saying, we're all in, uh, and we're seeing other ones that are saying, ah, maybe not, we're gonna pivot and, and uh, 
you know, so it, as, as a dealer who owns these different brands, boy, it must be tough to reconcile these different emerging views and ever changing views, right? As far as an overall business plan. Uh, it, oh, absolutely. And the, uh, and, and it has changed so dramatically the, uh, a number of different times. Yeah. The, uh, um, I did have the chance, the, uh, and this is emblematic of some changes at Ford. Jim Farley used to work at Toyota. They mm -hmm. worked at Toyota for a long time. I knew him very well. The, uh, from my different stints on National Dealer Council, the, uh, I traveled with him um, the, and really knew, knew him and, and his family very well. Once he went to Ford, we had uh, no conversation. Uh, he was a little busy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I ran into him uh, at, uh, just at the Automotive News uh, booth at NADA. Okay. The, and went up to him and said, you know, Jim, you're not going to remember me. And he said, oh, of course I remember you. The, uh, and I said, well, I'm a Ford dealer. And he was surprised. Right. The, uh, and I said a little flippantly, ah, you know, I was going to call you a few times because, uh, boy, it's it's been tough being a Ford dealer. And, you know, I think that the, your, your regulations have been a little difficult for me to deal with. I mean, and he goes, yeah, I know. And, and uh, you know. I promise you that that nothing's more important to me than dealer relations. I have no desire. It was always publicized that I wanted to, to go direct to consumer. And I promise you that was never the uh, uh, my intention. Right. The, uh, and uh, I, so I, I I believe him. I mean, mm -hmm. we're standing next to each other and he was looking right. at the eye. Um, but he was very clear, and I think I didn't go to the Ford Make meeting. I had other meetings that were right. in conflict, but the uh, but uh, both one on one and what I've read about the meeting, um, I think he's I think he's ready to the to pivot even more so than than right. uh, just allowing all dealers to sell uh, EVs. You know. I think that the the Detroit three, and particularly Ford and General Motors, the are driven to a large degree, driven by the stockholder value. Sure. And when it looked like EV was the future and and the public seemed to embrace that, particularly in certain parts of the country, right. It made sense for them to jump on board. That's you look at Tesla, you look at the the value of Tesla. Right. And, you know, their first job, Mary Barras, who I don't know, and Jim right. Farley, the their first responsibility is to their shareholders. It's mm -hmm. not to the dealers. Right. The And I think they demonstrated that very clearly. Um, but to that point, when the public seemed to reject an EV future, mm -hmm. the and people weren't buying their cars, again, the... Uh, with a nod toward shareholder value, they had to back back up the absolutely and continuing to do so. Yeah, and, and look, we're we're seeing this throughout the country. Uh, 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 here in Kentucky, currently, new car sales that make up EVs it hovers right around two percent, and it's been pretty consistent there. Uh, whereas California, it's twenty five percent approximately new car sales in that range. 
But again, it's sort of flatlining, which sort of begs the question, and I think this is why we're seeing some of these corrections, if you will, uh, where the early adopters really the only adopters for this sort of thing in that it fits with the lifestyle that they have to be an EV owner. It fits with their daily habits. It fits with their ability to have uh, charging overnight and those sort of things. And, and as you know, in Kentucky, we are so far away from being uh, having that infrastructure that we can do that. Um, maybe we shouldn't be that surprised and maybe there should have been a little bit more due diligence ahead of this commitment. And so we're seeing polling now as it relates to EV attitudes, but where was it all those years, you know, just a few years ago? The, well, and, you know, the, the early adopters, the, the one thing that's the uh, similar among all is they have another car the, right. the the Tesla that they bought and they're all primarily Teslas. Right. The, uh, that was not their only car. Yep. They, they had a garage. Mm -hmm. They had a place to charge their own car. They didn't have to find public charging. That's right. The uh, and uh, so it was a different buyer. Yeah. The uh, uh, now we see even in California, I have a lot of dealers, uh, friends that, that are dealers in California <clears throat> and People are trading in their Teslas mm -hmm. and they're shocked that they have very little value. Right. The, uh, partially because of price reductions by by Tesla. Right. But the other thing is nobody knows the and it's a big problem. The uh, how do you evaluate the worth of a used the battery electric vehicle? How much battery right. is left? The what's the I mean, as you know, if you the uh, battery in your flashlight, the first day is the best day. Right. Trade every, you know, every day thereafter. It's yep. no different in a battery electric vehicle. So what's that car worth? The after you've had it a few years. Yeah. How have you treated it? The mm -hmm. uh, as a as a, somebody who's appraising used cars, what do you do? The, yeah. you know, I think that's a huge problem that really hasn't, I, I see that it's just starting to be discussed now, but the, uh, uh, but we see a lot, at least in California, the, uh, and I don't have any data, but at least in California, we're seeing people that are trading in Teslas and they're not buying another electric vehicle. Right. right. And, and um, you're right. I don't have anecdotal data on this as well, but in, in, in speaking, just some dealers, Loosely, they've talked about, as you've mentioned, uh, uh, taking Tesla trade-ins, and and that is a, a big question. What really is that value? Which sort of brings me to the next point. We, as we talk about, we look at these EPA uh, proposed requirements, whatnot. So, given the state of the market that we just sort of laid out, yet the very aggressive benchmarks that have been put forward, specifically in um, you know the 2027 20, to 2020, uh, 2032. Uh, 60% of new vehicles sold in 2030, 67.5% of new vehicles sold in 2032 to be EVs. How does this get reconciled? Well, you know, <laughs> I don't know that we know. Right. The, so the EPA regs have been sent to the Office of Management Budget, right. the OMB. The... Uh, um, if they're accepted as written, the uh, uh, the cake's baked. 
right? Um, the uh, we think we hear that there may be those regulations may be tweaked before they're announced. It may include uh, plug-ins as well as battery electric. It's going to exclude uh, hybrids. The uh, So the regulations will be pretty much, we are told, nobody knows for sure, but we're told right. that uh, outside of adding plug-in, the, uh, that this is going to pass the, uh, uh, the, as you know, you were in Vegas and secretary Granholm was very clear and mm -hmm. she used the word, we're not going to, you know, we're not pumping the brake. The, she took that from the letter that we wrote to the president about pumping the brake. There were yep. 12 of us that wrote that letter to the president, which 5,000 dealers signed on to that. That's letter. right. Um, so, you know, the president has taken a stand. I don't think that that he can back up much, right. uh, which leads us to the in the next general election, the if there's a change, this isn't a political statement, it's just right. a fact, if there's a change, that maybe there would be by executive action or new legislation, or probably defunding of the EPA, sure. uh, the uh, we could we can change the direction, uh, but you know that's you know that's to be seen, and and a lot of uh, you know it's all political, which is you know I keep we all keep trying to to uh, influence, but. You know, well, yeah, it makes it a really tough spot for all of us in this industry to be in, whether you're a dealer or a manufacturer, uh, a change in administration. And presumably, uh, I think we can expect that uh, barring something, you know, unforeseen and who knows, it's a wild world we're living in. Trump will be the uh, nominee of, of the Republican Party. And it looks to be at this point a Trump-Biden rematch. And Trump has been very vocal on his views as it relates to EV not in a very uh, flattering way by by any means, but if you do have that change, again, it's not like every, everything could just stop on a dime as everything's been in motion as it relates to do these things. So that's gonna be an issue moving forward. And, and as we always say in here, elections have consequences one way or another, which, whichever side you're on. Um, one thing, you know, the other thing I wanted to touch on this, and you and I have had this conversation, I know you study this very closely is, what drives all of this moving forward and this movement of the EV are the batteries themselves. And you touched yeah. on that earlier as it relates to trade-ins and what that can look like, but the sourcing of these batteries, Steve, I mean, let's talk about that a little bit. Give us your thoughts on, you know, what that can look like and where, where the problems are there. Well, you know, you and I talked about uh, a while back that, that, uh, you know, OPEC controls, so much of, of our oil production and, and the pricing of, of oil. The, well, China has become the new OPEC. The, uh, uh, you know, 90%, roughly 90% of the production of minerals for batteries comes from China. The various minerals, the China controls between 60 and 90% and of the of the five minerals that, that are used to build batteries. The uh, that's a huge concern. Absolutely. The uh, uh, 
China announced not that long ago that they were going to cut back on the export of, of graphite. The uh, uh, demonstrating that that they have the uh, that they just have control, and if they decide all of a sudden, if the if the Chinese government decides that uh, you know they don't like something we're doing, and so they counter right. by restricting all minerals, um, that would be devastating. Absolutely. Now, you know, there some of these minerals are available in North America. But the uh, how quickly will 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 those miners, mining companies, be able to get permission the uh, to dig? And I don't know about you, but I don't want to mine next door to me, right? The uh, um, and so you know, uh, you know, it takes a long time to get permits to dig. Um, so. That's a huge. That's a huge issue. And yeah, and Steve, I, th I think it's something that's not talked about enough. On the one hand, we have state government and the federal government saying, "Don't get on TikTok because that's yeah. China yeah. runs TikTok, right?" On the other hand, we're talking about turning over our energy uh, uh, needs and requirements to fulfill these EV mandates. To who? To China. So <laughs> this is where this void in common sense is is. It's really scary and puts everybody in in a tough spot. And, and so, so I want to touch on one last thing before I wrap up, because, again, you have some interesting perspectives based on the things you're involved with, the various um, uh, roles that you are working in currently. And one is uh, you're currently chairman of the PAC of the American for Free International Trade. And you're talking to legislators about this. So as as things evolve, what are you seeing our legislators educating themselves on this? Do they get sort of the things that we're talking about here in a way? Uh, what's your take on that? Well, they didn't. Yeah. You know, when we first started talking about this three or four years ago, the uh, uh, a lot of blank stares. Right. The, uh, uh, the uh, now everybody seems or most seem to get it. Um, in fact, from the leader McConnell's office, the they're now sending me articles about you know ev and the fact that consumers are not buying not interested right. in these cars they were surprised in the beginning that that uh the public has had this this reaction particularly in kentucky right um but uh it runs party lines as as you would expect sure most of the time the uh but but you know, not always. Um, mm -hmm. The thing that uh, the most interesting thing to me during my trips, many, many trips to Washington, is that talking to the Michigan delegation, Republicans and Democrats, mostly Democrats, yeah. they were shocked because they had been told that there was no, that the, uh, that there was just such a huge uh pent-up demand right evs and and one member the who asks not to be um <laughs> you might be able to figure out who it is but she said uh you know you know don't quote me she said right right the uh but there's a huge demand for the lightning she goes i know there's a huge demand and i said 
you know, respectfully, there's not, I'm a Ford dealer. Mm -hmm. And maybe a lot of Kentucky Ford dealers did this, but I worked really hard to get orders for lightning. I thought I was the smartest Ford dealer in the country. (laughs) And I had 25 or 30 orders for lightning. And for a small Ford dealer like me, that was fantastic. Sure. Until people found out that you couldn't tow with them, you couldn't haul anything, and mm-hmm. the battery range was far less than than advertised. So I've got some lightning. So is anybody watching this today, any dealer <laughs> watching this that needs a dealer trade for a lightning, I'm your guy. Right, right. The, well, and that's what we're hearing too, Steve. Like um, uh, over the last several months, a lot of these sales have been dealer to dealer, right? They're sending them out. And, and so you have dealers in the middle part of the country selling to Northern Virginia dealers or, or you yes. know, things of that nature. So we're seeing a lot of that. Um, look, this will be something we're going to continue to follow. It's going to continue to evolve. It's good to be at the forefront of all of us who are, who are in this industry in our lives for the foreseeable future. We have an election coming up. I think this topic heats up even more as we get closer to election day. Uh, we'll see what happens. And, uh, at some point, I'd like to revisit this with you, and we'll we'll mark this date down as uh, here we are, mid February. Let's see where we're looking at three, four months from now. It could be even more uh, vastly different than where we're sitting today. I hope so, and I hope it's uh, positive. Uh, let me say one thing, and I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. The uh, uh, I think we all, as dealers and manufacturers, the we're anxious to capture carbon. We're not anti-environment. Absolutely. We, uh, uh, we just have to. We have to move into this sensibly. Right. We have to. We have to allow for other technology. We're short-sighted if we think that that battery electric is the only path right. to uh, being carbon neutral. Right. So you know, I don't want to be characterized, and I don't think any Kentucky dealer wants to be characterized as being anti-environment. Yep. I think that's a great point. And to, to that extent, anti-EV. I mean, EVs have their place. There is a role and, and there's no better way to sell and service EVs than to the dealer network. But it must, this, the industry, as long as I've been in it, and I'm sure you would say the same, has largely been consumer driven, right? It's the, the, what's evolved in, in what the consumer wants is what the OEMs make and that's what makes it work. That's how everybody competes and that's where everything moves forward and evolves. Dealers have been the ambassadors of new technology for generations. So it's not that, it's the, it's the sheer number with the government saying, this is what they're going to be. Um, consumers ultimately still have the final say. That's right. So. With that, Steve Gates, thank you for joining us here today. I feel like this has been a really interesting conversation, one we'll certainly continue and track moving forward. And for those of you listening, uh, thank you for being part of this edition of Kentucky Horsepower, and we'll see you on the road.